What's up ninjas and ninjas and welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, head ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. This week I'm delighted to be joined by Johnny Ross. Now Johnny Ross has got a really interesting story uh, starting way back when he was part of a team that built one of the UK's first and largest online glasses retailers. So he's going to take us through that experience and what that was like right up to the current day where he's helping people to be more strategic on social media so he's going to give us some tips on how to do that and not just tweet for the sake of it so strap in and enjoy welcome to the exposure ninja digital marketing podcast this week i'm delighted to be joined by johnny ross who's a bit of an seo and social media guru um, Johnny, you've got a pretty interesting background, haven't you? I want to talk today about um, being strategic with with social media, but first, maybe you could give us a bit of a uh, an intro into who you are and how you got here. Uh, well, I'm a qualified optician, actually. Uh, it gives me all the credibility in the world to be talking about social media, doesn't it? Uh, no, so I, I set up. I I had a, an opticians uh, on the high street for about. 12 years, we set up an e-commerce store selling sunglasses back in 99. So it was quite early on. And, and we knew from our buying power for the first four or five years that we were one of the, the biggest sunglass uh, e-tailer, uh, not from our, just from our buying power, but we were at the top of Google for pretty much everything, everything from sunglasses, designer sunglasses to red sunglasses, Armani sunglasses, every single brand you could think of. But in 2004, sales dropped, didn't really know why. It took us a month to really realized that we were no longer at the top of Google. You didn't look at things like Google Analytics and, uh, and ranks quite as much as you do back in 2004. So we, we engaged with an SEO agency to try and get the, the problem solved. And in the end, two SEO agencies later, 18 months later, and some serious uh, thousands of pounds, we were still on page seven of Google. Google had given us a penalty and these two SEO agencies over 18 months couldn't solve why. Uh, so for even our brand name, we were still on page seven. It was all a bit of a disaster. I, in the end, found a guy in New York who was on a, a ridiculous hourly rate. But within about two weeks, he solved the problem and got us back to page one uh, of Google. So we learned a massive amount, became really frustrated with the SEO, SEO industry. I certainly did. I was a, a minority shareholder of the business and uh, it, it, we'd lost a lot of traction over the 18 months. It needed a big investment. It wasn't forthcoming. So I, I decided to, to go off and really show businesses how SEO is actually just a bit of common sense. That's uh, how I got into this. Love that. So just I'm, I'm really interested in how you built the optician brand in the in the first place. And so it sounds like until 2004, you didn't have a huge amount of in house SEO expertise at that company. Is that? Yeah, I mean, that's right. It was lots of reading and lots of, you know, I've, I've always followed bloggers. Uh, and it was just lots of different techniques that people were suggesting. And we were trying everything and, and it was working and everything that we were trying we came across that I was reading was the right things to be doing. That's how you played the Google game. And so one of the examples, and, and, and it's amazing that in 2004, two respected SEO agencies didn't believe that hidden text on a, on a web page was an issue. And they believed that actually, no, it was quite normal to have hidden text on a web page and, and that wouldn't be causing the problem. 
And, uh, and so, so some of it was real common sense if you look back at it now. But there was probably about twenty or thirty different reasons, and, and uh, so, so, uh, so to be fair, that I picked up on a common sense one there. But going back prior to that, how we built the brand, we were an early adopter. We were first there. We had a, an amazing web developer, and so for the time, it was sort of groundbreaking web development. And we had the the source. We you know we had the product. So it was it was a business. We had you know typically in a business you need finance, you need product, uh, and then you you need sales and marketing. We had the finance, we had the product, we had the website, and we and we had the ability because no one else was doing it. It was very soon that you had the likes of Shade Station and Debenhams going online, um, and there was some. Uh, there was there was a uh, one called the sunglass uh, sunglass shop I think it was who were became a, a serious competitor, but it was we were sort of ahead of the game, and it was lots of lots of reading. So you were kind of first into that market, or the first to I guess take that seriously, and then did your competitors use that that penalisation two thousand and four to 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 get ahead, and then it became a game that you couldn't compete with? What was the deal there? It's, that that was exactly what the issue was, and it needed investment to then take it over. The senior the senior partner wasn't wanting to invest and and, and had other priorities at the time, and uh, you know there'd been eighteen months where where things internally had changed vastly because we lost forty percent of our turnover during that time. So uh, it it was uh, it was there was a big shift, but it was uh, the whole way through those first four or five years. It was not just ahead as in the first to do it, but but ahead as in understanding the techniques of what was SEO at the time. Mm. And what what did that business look like when it was when it was top of the market? What you know day to day? What what was it? Did do you have revenue numbers that you're happy to share? Like how how big was this thing? Oh, you're going back quite a while, uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's not something I've talked about for for quite a while either. I mean, we were selling. I think we were selling maybe a, a hundred pieces a day. You know, it was, it, there was some serious volume going through the business at that time. Again, some, buying online, it, it was very early on, and so uh, to be doing that type of volume for a product that typically is a very touchy feely product. If you if you went back to to that time, it was a product typically that you could only buy. Uh, it, it, you know, we were selling things like Chanel, things like. Uh, Oakley, where you could only buy in selected dealers, and and typically you'd go to that dealer because you'd want to to then see the entire range before you purchased. So it was, uh, you know, it was quite, it was, you know, to be selling that sort of volume was was also quite impressive. Yeah, I guess today, if you're ranking top of Google for those phrases around sunglasses, you'd be expecting like high four or five figures of sales volume a day. But I guess back then, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. I'm not sure about four or five figures, but at the time, that business was doing the same revenue uh, more than one of our average practice at high street practices. Uh, it was a serious business. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, and then you transitioned out of that and then started your own SEO agency, right? And, and you did that because you observed the uh, the swamp that was SEO in the... I guess in the two thousands, absolutely. It was a you know it, it was a, a minefield and and you know lots and lots of opinion and it was this sort of black black hat and grey hat and cloak and dagger. Give us five hundred quid. We're going to do some stuff. We're not going to tell you what it is, and we'll get you higher in Google. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. For me, 
I hate to say this for any estate agents listening, but it was the estate agent industry, and uh, it was it was just a, a really bad industry. And and um, and for me, I wanted I saw an opportunity of just saying, do you know what? This is just common sense. Just think about who Google are, what they're trying to achieve, and a lot of this is just common sense. And so there was a there was a, a, a very big opportunity throughout the time. That I I didn't translate straight away in 2004. It took me another five years to move, actually. Uh, so I had about 11 years experience on the sunglass side. Um, and throughout that time, I learned a massive amount, created a network of, of freelancers. Um, but also uh, the SEO became a passion uh, in 2005 and, and I couldn't get enough of it. And I wanted to know exactly what was going to make a difference, but also what's going to trigger a penalty. So I started, I started creating websites purely to try and trigger a penalty and see what, see, see what it really pushed Google just too far uh, to try and understand how far you could push these gray hat techniques, for example. Lots of uh, collaborating with with other SEO people around the world and just general learning, really. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly the same reason I got into SEO. Uh, really? Seeing, yeah, I was just seeing the amount, uh, at the time I was working with a lot of tradesmen and seeing the amount of money that they were giving to people who were talking just absolute rubbish. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's... It's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> Especially when, you, you know, you see... Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm not going to get <laughs> this podcast. Often turns into a rant against low quality SEO, and <laughs> I've seen some this week that's particularly fresh in my mind. So, um, anyway, right. I, I guess one of the main things I wanted to talk about today was was um, strategy and, and and social media. And, and I, I don't know if you agree, but I, it feels to me like social media is in a similar kind of place to SEO was maybe 2010 or so when there'd started to become some some best practice but there's still a lot of uncertainty around it people really still aren't sure i think you know talking about strategy with social most people are just heading on to to facebook and twitter and posting when they can or when when they remember getting a few likes here and there and you know it there's no real intent behind it no how how can people start thinking about this in a more strategic way that that ties in with with genuine business goals? Yeah, no. Well, I think you've just hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, there's no point doing it unless it doesn't tie in. It, in most cases, it's a scattergun approach, and that can be uh, for any size of business. Even working with some some uh, serious corporates, I'm never amazed by uh, some of the ways that social is dealt with, and it typically uh the, the the reason simply is because in a lot of cases the it, it, certainly in bigger companies senior boards just don't buy into social and it's and it's sort of just a a, a tick box in a way uh, and then you've got marketing departments that are left to uh, to their own devices but also nothing's integrated with what the board's really wanting and and if you then go to to small businesses it's the sort of the opposite side of the coin where time is precious you know you've been told that twitter is the place to be and that's where you're going to get all your magic business from um and so you spend an enormous amount of time tweeting all day <laughs> and and then sort of six months later think well what is it working i don't know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know is it working i don't know and so it is about 
having a plan and being really strategic and, 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 you know, to be fair, you've highlighted it. It's about going back to what are we trying to achieve? And, and so forgetting social, what are the business goals? What are the, what are the objectives and can they be tangible? Can they be numbers? So, you know, what are we trying to achieve over the next 12 months, over the next 12, uh, the, the, the next, uh, two years, three years. Um, but also can we be specific? So instead of, you know, we want to increase our revenue, who is going to be buying from us? And that's the really important part, the who bit, because it's no longer business to business or or business to consumer. It's people to people. And and ultimately, someone is physically making a decision uh, and, it's, and it's a person. Uh, so it's about uh, trying to drill down to who that person is and, and, and coming up with some kind of persona uh, and that would be with a bit of research and looking at your previous clients, looking at the typical types of people that have bought from you in the past or that do buy from you. And it's about then if you can then in a way pigeonhole them by coming up with t- some kind of persona, it then gives you the ability to be able to talk to them because social is nothing more than talking to people. And so it's so you've really got to identify what the goals are, who's going to then buy those to achieve that and therefore who the target audience is because that is the most important part and it's and it's not until you've created that uh, that you can really be using social so for example um, we do a lot of work with schools and knowing schools very well they don't believe that anyone that doesn't do anything to do with schools can do anything for schools so if they were looking for a new website they, or, or even if they were looking for an electrician, they would Google something like electrician for schools or school electrician because they don't believe that a standard electrician could come into a school. And, and it's just the, the way they think. It's very similar in the, in the NHS as well. And so that's just one very good example. If I sell websites and I just said, say, you know, we sell websites for everyone, then that's not going to hit the school's market. Whereas if we create a a page talking about school websites, case study about school websites, talk in their language, talk about half term, talk about Ofsted, talk about all sorts of of, of, uh, of different school related things. We're suddenly talking in their language. They suddenly uh, have a, a lot more of assumption about our understanding and how and our capability of working in that sector. What it doesn't do is it doesn't stop other people buying from us. Just because we're talking in a school language on a particular web page or on a particular social platform doesn't suddenly mean that other people aren't going to buy from us for that reason. So it's, it, it, it's not going to stop people buying from you, but it's about being very targeted so that all the, the time spent is, is, is worth it. Um, and, and that can make the biggest difference. And it's not about just having one persona. You might have three, five, ten personas. It's about identifying uh, those personas. That that's really interesting, and and I think particularly interesting. One of the things that that triggered in my head when you're talking about these personas is if you look at a lot of the millennial influencers on on social media, whether it's in fitness, whether it's someone like gaming with KSI, or um, someone like I Justine, who was one of the original YouTubers. If you look at how they'll often use their social media, they'll often have different personas as well. So they might have a a style channel on YouTube or a style page on Instagram. They might have a fitness thing. They might have a reviews thing. So even even the original P2P social media marketers are starting to identify that 
they've got different sub niches in their audiences and that actually different messages work for different different types. How much of these personas that businesses need to develop is actually, you know, one person in the company stepping up and making themselves the face of it versus just creating a brand tone of voice and I guess a consistent image language with the images that they share and content threads which keep going how how much does someone need to step up and be the face of this or can it be a when you do look at across the board take take a lakeland they have i can't remember her name but it's like the, this older lady who basically reviews every single product before it goes on the shelves and she's used very much in the blog and across social because people engage with a person. So I think having people having personas, having real names as uh, Twitter accounts and real names, uh, you know, who's written this blog, uh, you know, having a, a real name there using personal LinkedIn accounts is absolutely the way forward. And uh, unless you're Coca-Cola or, 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 or a, you know, a, a big brand name that you don't need to do that for. Yeah, I, co- I completely agree. I mean, if you look at someone like virgin they're obviously they have a brand but if you look at richard branson's personal following compared to say virgin then you can see that people are a lot more engaged in in him and his life than necessarily talking to a social media department in a company yeah yeah so so then their social becomes how to scale his voice because he doesn't want to spend all day on twitter and obviously he doesn't so how to scale his voice effectively to, to to get the maximum reach I want to talk a bit about conversations on social because pretty much with every social channel, conversations are rewarded with better visibility, whether it's Facebook, when someone comments on a post, it starts to be seen by by their friends and their network. And then Facebook gives that post more visibility because it's starting to get engagement. You know, whatever channel you're on, conversations are rewarded. What are some of the best ways that you've seen for companies to to start conversations with their audience? Um, again, similarly to, to what I've said, that this is about treating this online social as if you were offline. So how would you engage with someone in a high street, in on a shop floor, in a in, in a street? And uh, or, or even in a networking group, how would you engage? You know, you walk into a room with a thousand people. You're not going to walk in and say, hi, I'm Johnny Ross. Here's my business card. Come and buy from me. You know, if that happens, people are just going to turn away and, and you're going to be find yourself on your own in the corner of the room. Uh, so it's about understanding when you walk into a networking room of a thousand people, how would you talk to them? And, and ultimately, you would start talking to one or two people You'd, uh, you'd, you'd very much get on their wavelength and you'd start having a conversation. The beauty of online is that you can talk to multiple people at the same time, but you still have to get on their wavelength and you still have to talk, communicate, uh, engage, co- have conversations. It's, it's a two-way street. And, and it's doing that, but online. So for me, social is just a natural, there's no difference for me. It's, I, I have this very clear in my mind that the social is just no different the issue becomes that most people don't approach social like that and see it as this free form of advertising um and and and, and, and just you know shout come and buy this and people will come and flock and buy it and um, so it's so it's about it's about being relatable it's about 
using the audience, asking the audience. You know, you, you referred to uh, to millennials earlier, and and um, and ultimately, if you start looking at that age group. Uh, they want to be very much part of the brand. They want to be involved in the product development. They want to be involved in the in in the in the service development. And so it's about going out and asking and saying, you know, it's about talking. It's 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 about asking questions to the audience and 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 finding out what they want and what can help them. Like you would ask people in a room questions. It's the same, just asking online. So it's lots of questions. It's lots of uh, really understanding who you're talking to and what interests them, and it's about brand advocates as well uh, that are, that can easily relate to your audience, and 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 that might be uh, whether it be through uh, some kind of uh, free product or, or or testing product, or whether it be through existing customers. Um, using existing staff, I mean, a message from a, a CEO will reach so far but the same message from if staff are saying that message if employees are are saying that message then the reach of that will be so much further and and so much more trusted uh, as well so it's it's about having uh, all employees involved in it Uh, it's about uh, having it very integrated internally um, and it's about really understanding who you're talking to and, and, and and making it really relevant having conversation about what people want to talk about. I guess you, you mentioned their advocates and I guess advocates can also be outside the company as well. One of the Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that we've been seeing huge traction with is running um giveaways on social, but instead of having us or our clients run the giveaway, going to a, a blogger that has a high authority with a particular market and having them run the giveaway. And when they do that, the results are not even, it's not even like 10X, it's like 20X, 30X, a really quick way to build a huge, um, a huge social following for, for a company is to get someone who's high authority, who has absolutely nothing to do with the company, talk about the product and run a giveaway with their audience. So I guess there's this also, this whole other outside group of of people who would be really qualified and powerful advocates for for our our companies yeah and it's it is it's about tapping into those and unfortunately that is a is a a difficult area as well because there's a there's you know there's a lot of uh, people in that area that are that are purely after money and um, and so it, it then it's then you know well okay how much are you going to pay me to do that and 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 then what happens is that they're then the sign of a paycheck is more than the passion of the product. So they're then taking money for for them talking about a product that they actually don't really care about. So it's so it's so it's a really difficult area uh, that's that I think is becoming more difficult. But if you can find the right person with the right product, the 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 scope is is vast. Um, so it's so it's really about qualifying uh, who that who that advocate could be. Yeah, uh, I think it's probably one of the things which is going to be, it, it, it feels like a, a kind of breakthrough area over the next few years, because, you know, most most companies, are, they're thinking about social and who are they following? They're following Starbucks or Coca-Cola or whatever. And, and yet you've got people posting, you know, you've got 16 year olds posting videos on, on Facebook or Instagram, and they're getting a couple of million views in an hour that's the real social growth isn't it there's something there which coca-cola and starbucks 
it's not even on their radar that they just they don't have that sort of relationship with their audience and it's I, I wonder if if there'll be a breakthrough where brands start to learn f- from those behaviors from from the millennial influences and and start to kind of adopt some of their methods to do this stuff because that could get really interesting yeah I'm sure of it I, I'm absolutely sure of it uh, and I think some of the the some of the clever ones are already tapping into it um it, yeah and I think I think live streaming is has made it a, a really big difference as well recently. When we come back, we're going to be talking about tools and how to use these these different techniques and also how to measure ROI from social media. Interested in learning more about digital marketing and want to access the latest ninja strategies? The Exposure Ninja blog is where we share some of our coolest stuff. So if you want to see behind the scenes of some real-life marketing campaigns, find out what's working for us on the front line and keep up to date with the latest in digital marketing, head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash blog. We update it regularly, at least twice a week. So if you want to learn more about websites, SEO, pay-per-click, social, Facebook ads, or anything else digital marketing, then head over and subscribe at ExposureNinja.com forward slash blog. Welcome back. So Johnny, we're all busy. Unless a company has a dedicated social media team, it's unlikely that someone is going to be sat there on Twitter all day, every day, doing this stuff in real time, interacting and all of that sort of stuff. So we'll talk about the the kind of level of automation of a campaign later, but what are your favorite tools to manage social media campaigns effectively? Excel, <laughs> it sounds daft, doesn't it? <laughs> You're expecting me to say some fabulous uh, online tool. Um, <laughs> but do you know what? There's nothing wrong with a bit of Excel. Uh, I think that's a, a great way to sort of just start and start formulating your your thoughts ultimately and, and how you're going to how you're going to have these different conversations with different personas uh, and how you, you're going to plan. So for me, uh, the biggest thing is, is, is going back a step and coming up with some kind of editorial calendar, stroke marketing calendar. Uh, so it's about thinking of all the different, different uh, events or, or things across the year. You know, I, I think that people, again, they have this assumption that the tool is going to do all the work, <laughs> but, but that's not really how it how it happens. So, so, so for me, it's about having a, 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 a an amazing calendar that you can then be strategic from. So it's really simple way of uh, of putting a calendar together. Get an Excel. Uh, well, first of all, a list. So nothing more than a, a piece of paper and a pen or or a word document and a, a list of things and dates what's uh, over the next 12 months what events are there uh, in our calendar what events are there in our industry what events are there in our target audiences industry so if you want to do work with schools what events are in their calendar let's get them written down what promotions have we got over the next 12 months what uh, what marketing things have, have we sort of already thought of have we got any new product launches or service launches are there any new uh, films that are coming out on on uh, the cinema or any any new tv series that are coming out over the next 12 months that relate to our products or services if there are then let's write them down are there any uh, sporting events uh, any charity campaigns over the next 12 months uh, that relate to our uh, products or services or audi- or audi- more importantly our audience uh, let's write them down you know we all we all are familiar with father's day and mother's day and valentine's day if it fits with our uh, products and services 
then we need to be talking about that at the right time again. So you get this big list. Uh, you then get an Excel sheet. Uh, you categorize it. So you've got mon- uh, uh, January to, to December uh, going across the top, going down the left-hand side. You've got uh, the different types of things we've just talked about. And you populate it, and you typically find that you'll have four or five topics in each month. And what this does is it gives you a really clear topic for each week of the year so that you know that, you know, in you know there's a big sporting event in September and, and that's what you're going to be talking about uh, if it relates to your product services and target audience. Or it might be to show passion because because really a, a, a way to get people to engage with you is is to you know show a bit of real realism and and showing realism a great way to demonstrate that is by showing your own passions and and your own personalities. So Excel is the starting point. You then have this this uh, January to February, January to December, and all, all the different events. You then create another sheet, and in that sheet, it's going into detail. So week two of February, we know it's Valentine's Day, but let's put a bit more detail in. And, and there's lots of different columns you could have, everything from uh, you know who's the target audience, what's the product, it's any keywords, any any uh, deadlines, where we are there any particular resources we're going to get for this. Um, and, and, and having that plan can make such a big difference. Managing social, my favorite tool is Sprout Social. So uh, we've used Hootsuite, TweetDeck, uh, and, and, and all multitude of, of tools. For, for physically managing social, we find Sprout Social ticks a, a ton of boxes. It allows us to uh, schedule, although that's not always the best thing to do, but in a lot of cases, there are good reasons to schedule. So it allows us to schedule. It allows us to uh, to get some really uh, in-depth reporting. And, and we use that to then report to our clients as well. And um, overall, it, it, it's a very easy to use tool uh, across the team. So that would be my, my probably number one social management tool. You mentioned their scheduling. And I, th- I think it's worth talking about that a little bit i have this theory that every social network has a has a strange and slightly dangerous relationship with automation and and scheduling because on the one hand you know without that stuff many brands and, and companies would struggle to post consistently throughout the day so on the one hand it's good because it allows the network to be busy which which keeps people coming back on the other hand every social network seems to have this this phase where it gets bogged down by fully automated bot accounts and you you kind of get to a stage now where you follow someone and then they automatically follow you back and send you a direct message and and at that stage the value in the network seems to decline a little bit so um there must be a there must be a, a sweet spot that that companies who are using social can can get to between having something that's fully automated and comes across as just this kind of sausage machine pumping out content 24 7 versus something that is is all manual how how do people find that balance yeah well it is it doesn't it is about finding a balance and i think it's as simple as that really so full automation is a really bad idea um and and no automation no scheduling i think is really difficult 
And I think the, the biggest reason, the, the two biggest reasons it's difficult is uh, time stroke availability, but also that strategic plan of what you're going to be talking about. So without having that plan and, and, and scheduling in a way, it's difficult to remember that we're talk- that, that the right thing to be talking about today is Valentine's Day, for example. Um, and, and so, so it's, so there, but there is, there's absolutely a balance and I completely get that. And, and, and that's why I was cautious when I used the word. So it's, it's about, it's about having, you've got to have a, a real time conversation, real time tweets. Is your audience a small business or, or larger? Is it quite mixed or what, what's the? Mostly smaller medium. Okay. So I think, I think the, the biggest issue that, small to be to medium business have is that they don't have necessarily someone dedicated to this all the time. Um, or they, or there is one person responsible, but they don't, they're not available all the time. Um, so for example, I was talking about, um, uh, Asda for those not in the UK, uh, Walmart. Um, so, uh, Asda, I was talking to the head of social, uh, and what he says is that, uh, they put a post out at three o'clock on a, a weekday uh, I should mention that their audience is uh, typically 30-year-old mothers. Um, if they put a post out at 3 o'clock on a weekday, if it doesn't get 100 likes within 60 seconds, then typically the post is crap and they delete it. And the reason for that is at 3 o'clock on a weekday, typically 30-year-old mothers are in the playground waiting to pick up the kids with look, with their eyes completely looking at their phone because all they're doing is playing on Facebook and, and texting. And typically, conversations in the playground are not like they used to be. It's a very good example of, 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 if, of how scheduling can make a big difference because if you're not available at three o'clock on a Wednesday, you're missing your best opportunity. So scheduling absolutely has its place, but it's about ensuring that it's always real and that it's always meaningful and that there is always, that you know, if you can't, come at three, if you can't uh, tweet at three o'clock, then you are there later in the day or earlier in the day having real conversation and, and replying to any interaction that there may have been at that time, for example. Yeah, I completely agree. We, we kind of tend to use scheduling as, as the absolute basics to, to keep the to keep the posts active when people are going to be when people are going to be watching. So, you know, for, for us, we find that weekend mornings is, is, is quite an active time so people just waking up and, and checking their twitter or whatever yeah some sort of motivational thing just to just to kind of get them set for the weekend so you might not have anyone online at that time but just good to have something that goes out but then yeah if you get any if you get any communication around that then it really good to have a person jump on and, and just kind of answer those conversations i guess so yeah you're right it has to be a balance isn't it yeah yeah it is it's difficult Okay, so let's let's close up by um by talking about some some tracking and measurement. So, in your opinion, what are the key metrics that people should be tracking on social? Uh, well, again, it goes back to who's the audience, what are the goals, what we're we trying to achieve, and it's and and it's about identifying all of that right at the beginning because you know we could say, oh yeah, we've got a hundred thousand followers, it's amazing. Actually, we just need to sell. You know, we've decided that we need to increase our revenue by 100 grand. That's typically going to be 10 people because they, on average, spend 10 grand each. And they are typically the HR directors of corporate agencies. So actually, going back to the goals, we only needed to speak to 10 HR directors. We didn't need 100,000 followers on Twitter. You see the disparity. And so, so it's about understanding, well, what are the goals and what we're trying to achieve? And, and, they, and if we have that very clear right at the beginning, 
then it's very then it is very easy to measure what we're trying to achieve. Now, if you think, well, okay, we, we typically sell to consumers, we sell to anyone and everyone, <laughs> which again I would challenge highly. It's it's about triangulating data. So you could have this hundred thousand followers, but let's triangulate it. How many people talk back to us? How many people retweet? How many people like? How many people click on links? How many people, when they do click on links, do we have everything linked to to Google Analytics? So do we then look at how many people have clicked, but then what do they do on our website? How many people go onto our website and then fill out a contact form or uh, or, or make an inquiry or make a purchase? So it's, it's, it's having all of that data and triangulating it all to understand how meaningful these 100,000 followers might be. Because ultimately, if they come onto the site and they only spend this, you know, maybe maybe they're only, you know, we'd look at things like time that they've spent on the site, how many pages they've looked at, have they more importantly triggered any goals? What are the goals when someone gets to the website? What are we trying to get them to achieve? And have they have they achieved that? Have they triggered that? And and it's about understanding all of that data to then understand whether you are getting a return. Now, the only thing to say is that the you know if you go back. 20 years and you look at advertising and you look at advertising in the newspaper the magazine boards of directors were never were never asking for a category clear what's the return on investment because it it was very difficult to track and it, and, and and there was no you know it was it was a, a branding exercise the moment social and digital's come along this need for an exact return on investment has suddenly become the case but just like any form of advertising, people need to see things maybe seven times before they make a purchase. So social is just one of those those seven points, really. And so it's difficult to – it's unfair to label social and say, well, there has to be a return on it. Because 20 years ago, boards were not, for, not forcing uh, their marketing directors to have a, a return on an advert that had gone into a newspaper or magazine. There's been a big shift from a tracking point of view, um, but there's also been a massive shift from an expectation point of view. And I think that expectation shift is is, is more than it should be. Um, but it's going back to, to how to measure it's about tri- triangulation. That's the most important thing, uh, being able to look at uh, a number of different tools, number of different metrics to try and look at how meaningful that uh, ultimately the activity has been. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think the the point about um, the internet versus old media, I think is is really interesting because you're right, aren't you? Pretty much every channel that we use online is a direct response medium. It's, you know, most Google ads and and all of that, they're they're designed to turn someone into a lead or a customer. So it's much more like, say, an old mail order piece where they'd, you know, they'd key the ads and they'd know exactly who was coming back from each ad group as opposed to something like TV where there's no really, really difficult to measure ROI. You can look at traffic spikes during ad breaks or something, but, you know, it's super fluffy, isn't it? And the same with magazine and newspaper ads, unless it's, you know, the, the ad in the back of the Times on the Saturday afternoon with the order form with a little key in the bottom is... really tough to try I I think for me that's one of the most exciting things about the internet is that these large brands are forced to become direct response marketers instead of just the um the the kind of old school brand builders which is I guess brand building is still a still a viable thing online and I guess with social it's it's inevitable that that is a main goal but 
I think that the brand building advertisers have been getting away with doing poor quality work or or low ROI work for too long and I think their <laughs> time is coming. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point too. <laughs> and uh, I suppose also um, the social networks themselves don't really help with the tracking and measuring, do they? Because the kind of endorphin kick that you feel when you see the notification number on something like Facebook or Twitter can can mean that the tendency is to optimize a campaign around just pure engagement. And we've seen it with some of our clients who'll just reduce their social campaigns to sharing memes and, and jokes and just pure entertainment, just because that's what gets the best engagement. And as you say, they totally lose sight of the goal. They never look in analytics and say, what's a, an average social visitor to our website worth and how many of them are we getting? It's just all about, well, we've got 300 likes this month. But that's, yeah. I guess that's what Facebook's rewarding because Facebook gives you those stats. It's, it's kind of what it's it's the language that it's trying to encourage its, its audience to think in really yeah no really true i mean all they're all they're after is is creating something that's engaging on the platform at the time and um, yeah totally agree totally yeah cool so um let's let's uh let, let's wrap up then so finally do you have any favorite dashboard or measurement tools that you use obviously you've mentioned analytics i'm guessing there might be some excel in there as well <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit yeah i like looking at uh, majestic seo i like looking at uh moz uh open site explorer uh i like the looking at the metrics of those and uh i also used uh twitonomy a lot uh which Ooh, is uh, don't know that one. uh so it's uh google analytics for twitter um and it's uh it's a great platform to be able to analyze other people's accounts not only your own and and i think that can there's some there's some quite good metrics uh, in there as well, which which helps you sort of um, benchmark and uh, um, and analyze and Bitly as well. So so uh, you know again it's about triangulation. So for example, if we're tweeting, you know, you were talking about memes and, and jokes. If we're tweeting uh, third party content, so uh, linking to you know a BBC article or a Guardian article or whatever it might be, use uh, putting it through Bitly first enables us to. Uh, to track uh, how many visitors uh, or users have clicked that link. Um, and that can be really insightful to understand the type of content that we, we can uh, get users to, to click. Um, so, so uh, you know, it's a really simple tool. Most people, you know, everyone's heard of it. And it's like, well, why are you mentioning that? Actually, but, but for measuring third party, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, so, you know, triangulating, going back to that. It's about, it's about grabbing all this data together and then making sense of it instead of just looking at the one figure, you know, we've got 3000 followers, we must be doing well type of thing. Yeah. Oh, I love Bitly such an underrated social tool. I mean, yeah, you're posting the same link through a few different channels and in, in a few different contexts. And it's really difficult to get a feel for which of those channels which of those messages are resonating and getting you the clicks and analytics isn't it because all analytics is going to show you is oh you've had this link from twitter or facebook or whatever whereas bitly will show you you've had 100 clicks on this specific link which is and you know that that's the one that you used in that piece on tuesdays absolutely 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 Yeah, yeah cool Johnny, this has been fantastic. How do people find out about you? Where do they need to follow you? Uh, JR Consultancy on Twitter or johnnyross.com. And uh, feel free to tweet any questions and connect on LinkedIn. Fab. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And tune in next week for more digital marketing.